Welcome to the FarmD Money Podcast, where certified financial planner Derek Delaney brings financial education and observation to help pharmacists navigate their most important financial questions. Farm D Nation, welcome back to the Farm D Money Podcast. My name is Derek Delaney, and you are listening to episode number 13. So I got to ask, do you guys like the process of solving problems? For example, maybe putting together a puzzle, whether it's a physical puzzle or a game like Sudoku or something much more tactical in nature like a Dungeons and Dragons. If this is something you enjoy, then learning about taxes might be right up your alley. Believe it or not, tax code is probably one of the most mystifying puzzles there is. I believe there are about 2,600 pages in the Internal Revenue Code, and it's not so easy to decipher by the average person. To be honest, it's not so easy to decipher by experts either, but it's extremely important to understand. I didn't come up with this, but I heard it somewhere. Taxes are what is at the intersection of politics and economics. It is one of the biggest drivers of change Congress has in order to promote certain economic events they'd like to see happen in the future. So whether you believe it or not, it plays a big role in all of our lives. So allowing yourself to have a basic understanding of it is crucial in your pursuit of financial well-being. So if I haven't got your juices flowing yet, I'm sure I will, because the magic that sits inside the Internal Revenue Code is absolutely fantastic, at least to me. So in this podcast episode, we're going to walk you through some of the basics to help you get started. And in my opinion, there is not a better place to start than Form 1040. So Form 1040 is used by the U.S. taxpayer, which is you, to file an annual federal income tax return. The form calculates the total taxable income of the taxpayer and determines how much is to be paid or refunded by the government. So the first thing you'll notice on a Form 1040, which If you file a tax return, it's probably one of the first pages after you get through a couple that you see on your tax return. That form is the form used to calculate your total taxable income of the taxpayer and determines how much is to be paid or refunded to you by the government. So let's just assume that all of you have now frantically gone to your filing cabinet and pulled out your most recent tax return and you're taking taking a look at your 1040. The first thing you're going to notice on your 1040 is you having the ability to declare your filing status. And those filing statuses are single, married filing jointly, married filing separately, head of household, or a qualified widower. This status is extremely important and it's why it's at the top of your 1040 because this will determine how the rest of your income tax calculation basically gets handled. These filing statuses each come with different rules that may or may not allow you to take advantage of certain deductions or credits or other tax benefits that you may have the opportunity to take advantage of further down on this Form 1040. Next below the filing status is your personal information. This is where you have your name, social security number, spouse information, address. You have to let the government know who you are and you have to allow yourself to get credit for paying your fair share of taxes. I know this gets overlooked all the time, but if you have a tax return in front of you or you know where yours is at, every year you should be doing just a quick double check to make sure that your name, address, and your social security number are correct on that tax return. 
It's not very common, but it sometimes happens where some of that information gets messed up and it could cause issues or problems down the road. So just a quick look over of that personal information becomes very, very important. Moving down a little bit farther, we get into the dependent section. Why is this important? For example, the number of dependents you have will directly affect what you could receive in tax credits later on. Most people are familiar with getting some sort of tax credit based off the number of children they have, and that is correct. It's called the child tax credit. So if you are able to list more dependents, you'll get more credits later on at the bottom of your tax return. We'll get to that here in a little bit. That will reduce your tax liability dollar for dollar. So making sure that you correctly list all of your dependents is really, really important. There are a few other pieces of information I am aware of that are in that area of the tax return that you're going to have to fill out, but we're going to leave those alone for now just for simplicity purposes. So now let's jump into the actual meat of the 1040, the pieces of information that I think people really are drawn to when it comes to your tax situation. So line one on the 1040 is your wages. Basically, the IRS wants to know how much you have made over the year. And this could be wages, salaries, tips, and other forms of income that you earn from your job. This is most commonly information gathered on a W-2. So when you get your W-2 at the end of the year from your employer and you look at what your income earned was on that W-2, Basically, that information is taken from your W-2 and dumped onto line one of your 1040 and the tax return, or I guess the 1040 is often running from that point. As we work our way down from line one, you'll get to more income you could potentially have, I don't want to say earned, but more potential income you'll have to put on your tax return that year. Common examples of these are social security. So if you're taking social security, your social security gross payment will be on here and the taxable portion of it. Same thing for pensions. If you're distributing money out of your IRA, this is where you'll find those IRA distribution amounts. And then finally, capital gains. If you have any sort of capital gains that you or capital losses that you experience throughout the year, this is where you'll find that number. So we take your wages, salaries, tips, and other earned income, and we combine that with your other revenue sources, personal revenue sources like Social Security, pension, IRA distributions. And we add it all up and we get a total income number. Now, a lot of people will think, well, this is my income number. This is what I'm going to get taxed on. And it's not quite that simple. The first thing we have to do is actually lower that number based on what we call above the line deductions. So the IRS allows you just to take deductions above the line. And when we say above the line, I think it's important to understand that it's any deduction taken before your adjusted gross income number is calculated. So the above the line deductions are things like your HSA deductions. So you put money into an HSA and you get a deduction for that. This is where that deduction will show up on your tax return. Student loan deductions. Um, if you're in a low enough income situation, you can actually deduct some of your student loans um, on your tax return as above the line deduction. For a lot of my PharmD listeners out there, you're more than likely not going to qualify for this because the phase out ranges, I think for married filing jointly is like 140000 and single is 70000 So usually PharmDs are going to find themselves above those amounts. Uh, retirement plan contribution. So if you stick money into an IRA, this is where you get that deduction. Another interesting one is the educator expense deduction. So if you're a teacher and you go and you buy stuff for your room, equipment or whatever else, you can get a deduction, but you only get up to $250 a year per person. And I know a lot of teachers out there probably spend more than that. But these are very important because they decrease your gross income into your adjusted gross income. 
and your adjusted gross income number is extremely important, and that is what's next. So for most individuals, the adjusted gross income is much more important and a lot more relevant than your gross income. Now remember, your gross income is those income sources we talked about before, and your adjusted gross income is those gross income sources we talked about before minus those above-line deductions. Above-line deductions are basically like freebies for the government that you get to use to reduce your gross income to create your adjusted gross income. Now your adjusted gross income, more commonly known as your AGI, is used to calculate your total income tax. It's also the number used to determine if you qualify for other certain deductions or credits. And that's why it's a lot more relevant than your gross income. Because if your adjusted gross income is low enough, it could allow you to take advantage of other tax items that are beneficial to you down the road, like certain deductions and credits. It also gives you more opportunities and tax flexibilities than you would have compared to somebody else who has a higher adjusted gross income. So again, the goal is to get the lowest AGI number you possibly can for most people in a given year. I also want to uh, throw out a quick side note that the adjusted gross income also gets confused and included with the modified adjusted gross income number. They are very similar and they sometimes uh, get exchanged when people are talking about the same thing. So I just want to make clear that the modified adjusted gross income adds back certain deductions. So for the purpose of modified adjusted gross income, it would usually be larger or equal to your adjusted gross income. We're not going to dig any deeper into that now. So we have your adjusted gross income. Now comes the part where we get to deduct even more off of this number before we actually have to use any sort of income number to calculate what we owe in taxes. And the big deduction everybody has the opportunity to take is what they call a standard deduction. So the the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 2018 increased this number quite substantially from what it used to be. So I think the statistic is more than 90% of Americans use the standard deduction. And basically, it's an amount that the IRS allows you to subtract from your adjusted gross income before those tax calculations are applied. So it's just another freebie subtraction that you get to use to lower your total taxable income number before it gets run through the taxable calculation. Instead of the standard deduction, you also have the opportunity to be able to use itemized deductions. So these are deductions of amounts you paid that year for things like state and local income tax, salary tax, real estate taxes, personal property taxes, mortgage interest, disaster losses. Uh, if you give a lot of money to charity, this is where you'd be able to come and deduct that. Um, some medical expenses. But just remember, each of these itemized deductions had their own set of rules that may limit what the value is that you can use as an itemized deduction. And some of these you may not even qualify for. So just know that even though you have itemized deductions, you want to make sure that you qualify for the entire amount that you assume you're going to be able to use. And then you have to decide, are those itemized deductions in a given year going to be bigger than the standard deduction? Because whichever one is bigger, that's the one you're going to want to use because it's going to knock down your AGI lower which is important because the lower taxable income number you have, the less tax you're going to have to pay or be required to owe that year. So we have our adjusted gross income. That number gets knocked down even further by either standard deduction or an itemized deduction. Now we've reached the point of what your taxable income actually is. And I know for any accountants that are listening out there, anybody else who's got more in-depth tax knowledge, we did skip over the QBI deduction 
Uh, we could save that for another time. But this taxable income number is the number used to calculate what you owe in taxes that year. It takes you through the tax bracket calculation. Remember at the start of this podcast, we talked about filing status. This is one of the biggest areas that filing status comes into play as far as importance. So the tax bracket that your taxable income gets run through is different depending on what your filing status is. We'll take single and married filing jointly as our examples. If you're a single tax filer, your tax brackets actually get condensed, meaning that if you make the exact same money as a couple who is filing their tax return married filing jointly, you're actually probably going to pay more in tax than that married couple will be because of the way your tax brackets are set up. So I think that's a great example of why filing status is so important. So we have your taxable income. We run it through those tax brackets, which you know, the 10, 12, 22, 24, and so on tax numbers. And the following number that gets spit out is what your tax is, but it's not quite yet what the tax is that you will owe. And that is because we still have to subtract one more thing, and that is tax credits. So again, we talked about uh, common tax credits like the child tax credits. Um, Maybe there are other tax credits that you'll get access to because your adjusted gross income number is low enough. But the real important thing to know here is that tax credits are far more beneficial than deductions because those tax credits decrease your tax liability dollar for dollar, which means that if you owe $20,000 in taxes in a year and you have $10,000 in credits, all of a sudden it's going to cut dollar for dollar what you owe the IRS in half, where a deduction won't necessarily do that on the same level. So we have your adjusted gross income. We knock it down by the standard or itemized deduction. We have your taxable income. We lower that by whatever credit you have. And now we've hit your total tax number. This is what you actually owe to the IRS this year. We subtract this number by what you've already paid in through withholdings. And that's the money you send sporadically or continuously to the IRS through uh, your paychecks um, throughout the room, throughout the year. And the remaining number is what you either have to pay in or what you receive as a refund. So through your withholdings, if you paid way too much tax in throughout the year and you paid too much, the IRS is going to give you a refund. If you paid too little, you're going to have to pay into the IRS, whatever the difference of that is. I know a lot of people who, a lot of people like to get as close to zero as they can with this number because their feeling is the more they owe to the IRS or the more money they send up front to the IRS that's just sitting there not doing anything is is not something they want to do for whatever reason. And a lot of people want to make sure that enough gets paid in so they don't get penalized for not paying enough throughout the year. So the closer uh, you can get to the number being zero, the better for a lot of people. But I know there's a lot of different things we could talk about for why that might not be the case, but we're not, we're not going to want to get into that now. So that is the 1040. It's We went through a really easy example of what it might look like and kind of how it works, but I just want you guys to understand that the 1040 is one form in the Internal Revenue Code. I believe that there are over 800 various forms and schedules within the IRS tax code, all with different rules that affect other forms. So one change here could cause a ripple effect on a number of different things you have going on in your total tax return on any one of those 800 different various forms you may be using. So this is why I think that the Internal Revenue Code is probably one of the the greatest puzzles available out there for people to go and tackle because it truly is in depth and it's very, very complicated and it's changing all the time. So if you're big into puzzles and you like solving problems, diving in and learning about taxes, 
could be right up your alley and it's going to be a great way for you to increase your overall financial well-being. Also, I hopefully this provides a little light on why the busy season for accountants is the real deal. So if you know an accountant who just finished up the busy season, do me a favor and buy him a drink. They deserve it. If you're looking for more information about the podcast myself or FarmDFP, feel free to visit the firm's website at farmdfp.com. Also, feel free to check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel, FarmD Financial Planning, for more great insight. Email podcast at farmdfp with questions, topics, or ideas you'd like to hear more about. Finally, until next time, FarmD Nation, be well. The FarmD Money Podcast is not intended to be tax, legal, or investment advice. All opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice.